So I'm going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to talk, and we're going to look at just one verse. And you'll see why there is so much in this one verse we need to understand as a church. And what I also want to do this morning... As we look at that verse, I want us to think about children. I want us to think about the children in our home and in our church and in our school. And now I know I lost about half of you. You go, God never gave me children. I don't have any children at home. So what in the world would this message have to do with me? Let me tell you this. If you call Coleridge Presbyterian Church your church home, You have more kids than you know what to do with. You have hundreds of kids running around this campus every Sunday morning. You have 900 kids running across the street on Wednesday morning. See, when we take vows as members, we don't take vows just to to nurture and care for ourselves. We take vows to take care of the entire covenant family. And if you call Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church your home, all of these kids are your kids. So no matter whether you had kids biologically, or you adopted kids, or you have grandkids, or you just call Coral Ridge your church home, these are your children to care for. And we better know how to raise them and how to equip them. There's ways to mentor. If you're, if you're a 20-something, my 20-somethings right here, that are thinking that kids aren't even on the radar. Some of you can't even stand kids. Find a kid Find a child to mentor. They're your kids. They're your children. Mentor them. Adults, serve. Our older population, serve in the the nursery. Figure out a way to mentor. Some of you are successful business owners. Take one of these children under your wing and teach them what it means to be a godly Christian businessman that operates with excellence for the kingdom of God. All of us coming together to raise up this next generation. You can pray. In every bulletin, you should have a prayer card that our children's and family ministry have outlined for you. Ways that we can pray for our children, their their eyes and their mind and their heart and their soul and their person. Every morning, pray. Choose one of these prayers to pray for your children, your grandchildren, and the children at Coral Ridge and the children at Westminster Academy. It may be a church, as I've said before, on their knees, praying for this next generation. So this morning, I want us to look at, like I said, one verse and one verse alone. And I'll, we are going to see how this one verse has such an incredible blueprint and such an incredible power in just this one tiny verse. And it's found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. And in Proverbs 22, verse 6, Solomon gives us the foundation The only sure foundation that we are called to lay as a church and as parents and as teachers and as grandparents and as members of this church, the only sure foundation that we can lay for the next generation. Ready? Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not turn from it. And the grass withers, the flower fades. For the word of our Lord last forever. Amen. So why are we talking about the next generation? I've said it at nauseum, right? I've shared with you the statistics, shared with you the statistics about the next generation, that a child, based on empirical data, that a child's moral compass is formed by age seven, that a child's worldview, for better or for worse, is shaped and formed by age 13, 
That means that we do not wait until a child is in middle school or high school to begin teaching them the truths of the gospel, to begin teaching them about the truths of Christianity, that we lay a foundation from the moment a child is born into our homes and the moment a child is brought forth for baptism here at this church, we as a church are dedicated to walking alongside of that child and this family to raise them, to shape their mind, to shape their hearts so that when they do turn seven and 13 and 18 and go off to college and go out into the world and make a, and, and, and fulfill their calling and whatever career God has called them to, they are going out regardless of what their field is, a doctor, a lawyer, attorney, uh, a small business owner, a realtor, a dentist, a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, whatever it might be, pastor, educator, small business owner, they are going out into the world first and foremost as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. But it doesn't start when they're 18. And the statistics show us it doesn't even begin when they're 13. It begins when they're one and two and three. To walk alongside of them, to train up a child in the way he should go. Whenever you walk through the ancient ruins in, in Israel, attached to any synagogue is what? An academy. Because the Hebrews believe this, that, that the, place, uh, the, the, play, the place that the people of God call home for worship should not just be open on Sunday or on, for them on the last day of the week, on Saturday, the Sabbath, but it should be open the other days of the week as well for training and for equipping and for preparing these students and these children to be citizens of the kingdom of God out in the world. You see, the people of God have always cared about how the next generation is raised up. When they founded this country, what was the first thing they did in Massachusetts Bay Colony? The Christians came together and they opened up a small school, you might have heard of it, called Harvard. That was founded by Christians, ironically, founded by Christians that was supposed to raise young men and women to be sent out into the world for the glory and the kingdom of God. People of God have always cared about education. By the time of the Civil War, 3,000 colleges existed in this country. Three quarters of those colleges were founded by Christians and by churches. And we ourselves have an opportunity starting Wednesday, 900 students walking across the street in Westminster Academy, 900 students coming every day for 180 days a year, 13 to 15 years through their career, give or take. If you told me that you were going to give me an army of people that I could shape their minds and their hearts, you gave me 900 people and I had the ability to shape their minds and their hearts for 180 days every day for the next 15 years, I could change this city and this community for generations to come. And that's what we have across the street. And that's what we have in our church. You want to change the world? You want to change the city? Change the hearts and the minds of our next generation. How do we train and develop our children? Well, God gives us a blueprint right here in Proverbs 22, verse 6. Solomon is writing, and he's writing these proverbial statements, and I think it's worth our time briefly to unpack them here together this morning. The first part of this verse, train up a child, this idea of training, what does that mean? How do we train children? How do we train them up? Is that a weekend seminar? What is training to you? 
Is it, a, is it a class? Is it a seminar? Is it a conference? What in the world did Solomon, or ultimately, what did the Hebrews have in mind when they thought of the idea of training? Well, see, the idea of training up a child is way too weak. The idea, the English translation is way too weak to capture what was meant by the Hebrews. You see, what they meant by training was a seven-day-a-week, intentional, dedicated ministry that began in the home and partnered with their place of worship and was um, reinforced in the academy. This was not a passive call for moms and dads. The idea of training for us seems quick and simple and easy. The idea of raising up a child to the Hebrews was an intentional roll up your sleeves every single day, partnering with my church, partnering with the academy to raise this child up. Listen to what one commentator says about this verse. This imperative in Proverbs 22 verse 6 calls for parents to actively devote or commit their children to a certain course of action, continually pleading in the presence of God that may what happens in the life of my child ever magnify the greatness, worth, sufficiency, and saving power of God. Train up, therefore, is way too weak of a translation and misses the potential element of consecration to religious, academic, and moral direction. The commentator goes on to say, yes, there are times and place in our church where we dedicate the child in a ceremony that we call baptism, but training up a child and dedicating your child is way more than that. A good working definition for this verse, training up a child is this, an intentional, dedicated ministry every single day of the week, starts in the home, partners with the church, and reinforced in the school. Intentional, dedicated ministry to our children. Let me just pause. You know what we do a great job of? We train up great, we do a great job training up little gators, little seminoles, and little hurricanes. We do. We do. We train them up so well. We train, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you're in my house on Saturday and Sunday, you see how well we train them up. But we do. We do a phenomenal job of raising little gators, little seminoles, and little hurricanes. We get them to learn the chants and, our, and the, the hymns of these teams. We get them to dress in the attire, right? We, we take them to the shrine on Saturday and Sunday to pay homage and to praise and worship their teams. And then we even get them, if they're successful enough, to join the boosters and tithe. We do a great job. But in all seriousness, how well of a job are we doing in raising up little Christians? How good of a job are we doing to raising up little ones who love and adore the kingdom of God more than anything else in this world? So that when they are raised, this idea of an intentional, dedicated ministry we are so dedicated to our sports teams, we are so dedicated to the things of this world but a dedicated ministry on behalf of the kingdom of God to our children. How are we raising and educating our children so that their singular passion when they are adults is the Jesus Christ and the kingdom of the gospel? How are we doing in raising up this next generation? Well, the second part, not only does Solomon tell us to to train up a child, this idea of an intentional, dedicated ministry, he says, but... uh, 
train them up to go in this way, in the way they should go. Now, way is confusing. What does that mean? Well, if you've never read Proverbs, or maybe you've never understood Proverbs, and Proverbs has only been in your life, these little cliches that you post to your mirror or your refrigerator, let me make it very simple for you. Here's the point of Proverbs. Solomon, the king of David, writes this book, and he talks about two ways. The way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And for 31 chapters, Solomon pleads and implores the Israelites to choose the way of wisdom and reject the way of foolishness. Choose wisdom this way and reject foolishness that way. Now, That seems very nebulous, right? How do you actually define that which is wisdom and that which is foolishness, right? Is it subjective? Is it in the eye of the beholder? I mean, is it, how exactly do you define what that which is wisdom and that which is foolishness? Well, Paul does us a great favor. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there briefly, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he answers what for thousands of years the Israelites wanted to understand. Where can one actually find wisdom? What exactly is foolishness? Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 through 24. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a side and Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews. Folly to the Gentiles. But to the, listen to this part. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. What Paul is saying here in this passage is that for thousands of years, you have wondered what is wisdom and what is foolishness. And in one passage, Paul says, this is wisdom. He's the son of God that has come in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. But he doesn't just say that, does he? Who does he call foolish? You and me. He says, the wisdom of God is Jesus The foolishness of this world is us. Let me retranslate this for you in Proverbs. It's not going to make you comfortable as parents. Train up a child to fully embrace Christ alone and train them to reject themselves. I'm looking at the counselor here. I'm okay. Train up a child to fully embrace Christ alone and train them up to reject themselves. Whoa, 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 pastor. I mean, you are undoing years and years of building confidence into my child. I want to raise children that have a healthy sense of comfort and confidence in who they are. And, and, and in one statement, you've just thrown it out the window. Reject. I mean, I'm going to say, I'm gonna have to send my whole family to, to, get, to get counseling and treatment this week. Let me put it this way. Would you rather raise a child to find their confidence and their worth in the perfect one, Jesus Christ, or would you rather raise your child to find their confidence, comfort, and hope in the imperfect one, which is represented by you and me? I'll choose the perfect one all day long. 
There is no confidence in the flesh. There is no comfort in the flesh. The only way that we actually, think about the paradigm here, the only way that we are going to raise healthy, confident, comforted children is if they learn to place their confidence and comfort and hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only one that can give them assurance and confidence and hope. He is the only sure foundation. The only thing, there is one path and one way and one road in which we train up our children to embrace Jesus and Jesus alone, to reject themselves and their own desires and their own passions, and then to be sent out to be world changers for the kingdom of God. Train up a child, an intentional, dedicated ministry towards our kids, to point them on the way of fully embracing Christ and denying themselves. Lastly, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You see, here, Proverbs, Solomon makes a very, very bold promise. He says it's an eternal promise. And I've struggled with this verse, I don't know about you, my whole life, at least my whole Christian life. And this is, I gotta confess, this is how I used to believe this verse went. The promise here, when he's old, he will not turn from it. I got to confess, I always thought God was like, I kind of promise it, but it doesn't always work out that way. Basically, I'm good 70% of the time. The other 30%, it's a crapshoot. I really don't know how it's going to work out. So I always used to believe, I used to tell parents, like the caveat, like, hey, believe in this verse, pray for this verse. And it, I know it sounds like it's guaranteed, but it's not always, it doesn't always work out that way. The last year, I grew very convicted about this verse. And I want to say baloney. A promise is a promise is a promise. There's no 70% in God's economy. It's either 100% or it's 0%. Now you go, Pastor Rob, I'm living it. I've got kids at home that don't want to go to church. I've got adult, I've got adult children that have, have walked away and doubted. And I did everything right. I did everything by the book. Here's the good news. How does salvation happen? By your kids running to the gospel, running to God, or by God pursuing them? You see, here's the good news this morning, that we have a God that pursues us and rescued us with his sovereign love and his sovereign grace. And yes, there will be seasons for our children of doubting and wandering. There will be seasons where you just go, they're not going to church, they're not tithing, they're not taking their kids to church, this, that, and the other. There will be those seasons. But the promise of God is the promise of God is the promise of God is the promise of God that we have a God that although we might turn from him at times in our life, the promise is that he will never turn from us. We have times in our life that our children will turn, but God will never turn from them. And it is our calling as parents and as pastors and as members and as educators to continue to love them and to show them the love of God and to present them to the truth in love and to pray, God, I believe that you are a God that never fails. I believe that you are the faithful God, that we, when we sing great is thy faithfulness, I actually mean it and I actually believe it. That your children, by pointing them to the way of Christ and Christ alone, are pointing them to the one that will never turn away from them. Their friends will reject them. The world will reject them. But point them to the one 
that will never turn their back on them. Final word for our parents and our teachers. Parents, I don't care whether you have little ones at home. I don't care whether you're an empty nester. I want you to be inspired again. I want you to be inspired again. Our young parents that are just, just exhausted and worn out and even getting to church here was a struggle. It's worth it. Be inspired about the disciple-making factory that exists in your home. Be inspired again. I dare you. Adult parents, I know, I know it's hard. Because I know, because I know many of you have kids that have just seemed like they did everything right, taught them all the right things, and they just went off the deep end. Don't stop. Keep pursuing. Keep pursuing. Keep loving. Keep encouraging. Keep walking alongside of them. Don't give up. Be inspired. Your call to discipleship begins at the cradle and ends at the grave. Continue. Continue. I dare you to be inspired again. If we as parents actually cared more about what we fed our children's mind and their heart versus what we feed their mouths, could you imagine what our generation would look like? It'd be amazing. Teachers, be inspired again. I know, I can't imagine the classroom every day, parents, demands, opinions, And for some of you, you're entering this year, and and be honest, some of you are in a fog, or at the very least, you're just going through the motions. Be inspired to be a world changer, to produce in your classroom for 180 days this year a world changer, a culture-shaping Christian that will grow up prepared and equipped to go out as an ambassador for the kingdom of God and his glory and his gospel, I, inspire, I pray that you would be inspired once again, that this year will not just be another year. Teacher, a public school teacher, well, obviously he's not allowed to pray in the classroom, so what he did, he was a Christian, his, the superintendent came down on him, the principal came down on him, his, all the other teachers came down on him and said, you can't pray in the classroom. And so what he did, he showed up every morning, an hour and a half early, and he had 60 kids in his classroom. So what he did an hour and a half before all the kids arrived at 8 o'clock is he would go around his classroom and he would sit at every desk and he would pray for every student by name. May this be the day. May this be the day. Somehow, I don't know how you're going to do it, God. The, the, the school district says I can't say it. But somehow, may you change this kid's life. May you change this student's life. Dare you as a teacher to believe again. I dare you to believe that you, what you do has internal significance. Let me close with this and then we're done. One of my favorite stories, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I guess it was about a decade ago, the school district in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they were struggling with remedial reading. They weren't satisfied. The school district wasn't satisfied uh, with how they, as a district and as their schools, were helping students that were struggling with reading. And so what they did, they brought in all these consultants. They went through different tests and different methods, and they took a sample size of 40 students, and they took them through the same test, the same methods, the same prep. And at the end of the test, they realized nothing worked. Not one student improved in their reading, except for one. 
one of the teachers came forward and said, this child changed. And they said, tell me more. They said, well, this child's name is Edie. Actually, we call her Speedy Edie. She's the fastest kid in her class. And because she's so fast, she runs track. And so every Thursday, because she doesn't have a mom or a dad, I go out to the track meet, and I stand at the end of the finish line, and I scream my head off for her. That's it. That's it. What would motivate a teacher to go out and scream her head off for that child unless she knew of a God that screamed his head off for her. Oh, Rich, we should know. We have a God that is crazy about us. If you are in Christ this morning, you have experienced the love of God the Father, a father that is absolutely crazy about his children. And how could that not move you in such a way to go, I am now going to pour my life out for a child, for another son or daughter, to let them experience the love of God the Father through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would we as a church be inspired? Would we be those people that are screaming our heads off for these kids? Because we have a God that screams his head off for us. Remember I said at the beginning that this sermon's for everyone. Because the reality is all of us, when we become a follower of Christ, begin as a what? Begin as a child. For those that believe in him, God gives them the right be called a child or God. And so if you're a student here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, I implore you to follow after him, to make him your Lord and Savior, your only hope. Choose the wisdom and the power of God. If you're 85 this morning, I encourage you, become a child of God this morning. It's not too late. Tomorrow is not the day of salvation, but today is the day of salvation, the scripture tells us. Would you become a child of God and be inspired to reach children of God for the sake and the glory of his kingdom?